The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry with Joe McGill. morning, good morning, how are you this morning? I'm Joe McGill and you're listening to the Saturday Supplement and I hope I find you well wherever you are listening to us around the world on RadioCurry.ie, the Radio Curry app or on the traditional wireless 96 to 98 FM. It is an absolute stunning morning out there if you're underneath the covers I'd advise getting up and looking out the window. It is a bit colder but it's nice and crisp and clean out there and the air is fresh so what a beautiful uh, morning it is. We'll take it while we get it. Now on the Saturday Supplement this morning. We'll hear about the first ever account of the life and times of the former Fianna Fáil TD, County Councillor, Greyhound owner and successful businessman, Timothy Chubb O'Connor, which will be published in his native Clorglan later this month. Dingle bird watcher Tom Lynch will be on to talk about the importance of feeding birds this time of year and uh, the Birdwatch Ireland Garden Bird Survey results, which were published in the Wings magazine this week. And uh, are you feeding your birds out there. Um, I must start doing it now again this year. It's absolutely beautiful to see them gather in the garden and all the different colours and to see the way they carry on and the way they interact with each other. And um, also we'll be talking about the birds, you know, that kind of are gone this time of year, that have migrated. And what are they doing? Or the birds, you know, um, what do they actually get up to during the winter? Because we know it's a busy time coming into the spring, doing the nests and all that, but what are, what are they at at the moment? We'll also have our Kerry County Council, Creative Kingdom, letting you know what's going on in the arts world. And we'll be talking about Dingle Lit, and uh, we'll be talking about the Grills Gallery in Clorglin as well, um, an exhibition uh, they have on uh, there and that is an absolute stunning uh, location, a lot of you would know it, the old fishery bar, I, I'd, I'd imagine a lot of good nights were had uh, there, um, now the first ever account of the life and times of the former Fianna Fáil TD, like I mentioned County Councillor, Greyhound owner and successful businessman Timothy Chubb O'Connor will be published in his Clorgan this month and the book is titled Chubb, the life and times of a remarkable Kerryman, it was written by his son Patrick Chubb O'Connor who passed away in May 2022. The book, which documents the many aspects of the life of one of Clorgan's most famous sons, will be launched by the former minister, Jory Collins, at a special gathering in Clorgan on Friday, 24th of November. And Ono Shea was involved in this too, and his role was to take the manuscript which Patrick had written before he died to add some material to it, to edit it, and to get it. Uh, published. And Owen O'Shea joins me in studio now, as does, I'm delighted to say, um, Timothy's grandchildren, uh, Paul, uh, Paula Lucy and Mark O'Connor. You're all very welcome. How are you? Thanks, Joe. Hi, Joe. Um, it's absolutely great to have you, and I'm looking forward to uh, talking uh, about this uh, man and uh, a life well lived and uh, all the different sides of him. In, in some parts of the book, he's described as his uh, an individual IDA over all the jobs he created and different things he was involved in. But, Paula, I suppose, when and why did your father, um, Patrick, decide to write the book on his father, your grandfather? Well, I suppose he always had a book in him. <laughs> yeah. He always had books in his hand, I'd say, from a young man. He was always reading, an avid reader. Um, I suppose he was so proud of Granda and all his achievements. He wanted to put it down and keep it as a piece of history. Um, <clears throat> he was always on the canvassing trail with him. And um, I suppose, like, he loved the elections, the same thing. And 
he had himself, Patrick, <laughs> dad, he had a great ability to predict the outcome of the elections and um, he spent hours calculating and tallying up and visiting the centres and going to the count. He loved the count and uh, I suppose he had a great love of greyhounds. He was a director at Shelburne Park for a while and we went to Tralee, Cork and everywhere. We had great nights at the dogs anyway, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I suppose it was nice to put it down and keep it as a bit of history of Kilorglin as well as family history. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was important then I suppose that your your, your father and, and my condolences to you because it's this is still fairly um, yeah, isn't that you, long ago. Um, I suppose it was your wish then, or it was his wish, but ye were adamant to carry out his wishes then to get this book published, really. Absolutely. I suppose um, he was writing up to the day he he um, went into hospital and uh, it was almost complete. And in fairness to Owen, had come and visited. I suppose we had to, to keep going once we got a start on it. It was great, you know. Yeah. Um, it, so the process had started and I suppose, look, we promised him <laughs> if one thing was going to get finished, we'd finish this book. Yeah. And he put so much work into it. Like, you know, we're very proud of him, yeah. the writing in it and everything. And it's a bit of satisfaction for ourselves. I suppose just to say we we helped to make him proud as well of us. Yeah, you know? I, can, I can only imagine. Mark, you must be fierce proud as a family. Oh, is, yeah. After finishing the book, it's uh, you know it is very moving, yeah. and you know you can relate to a lot of it stuff that you would have remembered. But until you actually read it now in the book, you can relate to it then and kind of think, yeah, you know that actually I remember it happening now. Yeah, and it was great for us to be able to read it and you know relive a lot of those moments and you know stuff about Chubb as well like you know that we that I had kind of forgotten but yeah it, it came back to me as I read the book like I say it was very moving it was you know I was very proud of it and proud of my father for writing it and yeah it was, and it, it must have been I suppose like it is a labour of love but it's a difficult thing to write about your father as well so I can imagine yeah. it is like I couldn't imagine me writing yeah. about my father to yeah. be honest with you <laughs> because well uh, you know, I was yeah. mad about my father, but there was a lot of time where we, yeah, you know, we You'd went, be almost we, too we, close. We like, went yeah. At it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, it's it's an amazing thing, really. Do you know, so, mm. so yeah, we're very happy with the way and fair play to Owen for getting it over the line. You know, that was that was where all the real work was done. Like, and Paula, in fairness, did the majority of the work on it as well, like from the family point of view. Yeah, know, it was great. What was that like, Owen, to be approached? I'd imagine an enormous privilege, but a bit of pressure attached to that as well. Yeah, I think it arose from actually a program um, that Frank Lewis did on the Saturday Supplement on a book I did five years ago with Gordon Revington on a, a kind of a history of politics in Kerry. And we were back, Frank was back interviewing Patrick about his father and about a, a case involving a famous greyhound called Spanish Lad. And I think Patrick at the time mentioned something to me and had, had said something about, you know, he had a lot of information about his father, Timothy, and he was keen to get it out there. And, you know, he was asking me about what would be involved and how he might go about and things like that. So he was kind of pretty much writing it since then, I'd say probably over the course of five years, and writing it by hand as well, Whoa, which is not, um, you know, uh, find a young person today that would write uh, that many thousands of words by hand. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> But from there, it sort of evolved, and I'd say he, you know, he was collecting. The, the fortunate thing about Patrick is that he had he had retained an awful lot. Well, retained a, a lot of this in his memory, but had also retained an awful lot of records, an awful lot of newspaper cuttings, reports, letters, um, you know, documents from his father's period, and that was very valuable as well because um, it's giving you you know first hand sort of source material to draw on as well, um, and I think it's 
important as a book as well as uh, you know it's 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 not a biography of Chubb per se it's a memoir which is a slightly different thing in the sense that it's, it's Patrick's memories of his father it's very much the story of his father's um, life but it's it's very personal because it's Patrick's memories of growing up with Chubb the greyhound owner or Chubb the politician or the businessman or whatever it is and it kind of adds to I suppose we're fortunate enough in Kerry that we've had a few books of that nature of, of figures in politics over the years you know John O'Leary did his book um, the late John O'Leary did his book many years ago which I was involved in as well um, you know there have been biographies of uh, Dick Spring over the years uh, Michael Moynihan and so on so I think it's important that people important public figures like that that their stories are recorded and are there for future generations to, to learn about and to study Yeah and let's talk about his life um, orphaned at a young age and then raised by his grandfather but talk about that because it wasn't the typical um, you know no, into this world Far from it and like Chubb had grown up and I'd say this probably you know formed his character very much um, he he was born in London because his father Patrick had, had to go to London because of his involvement in, in, in the field and was would have left Ireland at the time um, some years before that um, and Patrick was born sorry Timothy was born in, in London in, in 1906 and within a very short time um, within a couple of years he had lost his father mother and his only brother um, in to, to, to TB in most cases I think yeah. and um, he came home to um, he was brought home to to Ireland and to Manus near Killardland to be reared by his grandfather uh, Bart Guyhan who was a very influential figure in his life but I often think that it must have been dreadfully tragic for somebody that young to lose both parents and their only sibling uh, within a short time but I I I suspect that that might have sort of toughened him up, so to speak, and made him the kind of formidable character that he was in later life. And he was very influenced by his grandfather growing up, who was a kind of an old-style Fenian Republican as well. And that certainly coloured his politics, I'd say. And he was taught in Gurtness Green National School by uh, Miss Cashman, uh, Joan Cashman, who was very active in Common and Man. Um, so there were a lot of kind of political influence in his in political influences in his life at a young age. And I think that there were factors in his own in in his going into politics in, in, in later years as well. Yeah, he had to become independent and I suppose entrepreneurial as well from that. It's amazing when you think of people back then, the lives they had to live. They had to, you know, they had real tough lives when you think about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, imagine that nowadays if you were to think it. Were you aware of that, Paul and Mark? Like, of his story, like, is there stuff in the book now where you're going, oh, I didn't really know that? Or we we always thought about, you know, your your grandfather? I'd say we were taught bits and pieces, but you know, our memories, I'd say, just you don't absorb that kind of information yourself when you're younger or you don't take notice of it. Now reading it, it seems um, dreadful to have to go through something like that at his age, but I'd say maybe that is the reason why he was so kind of adamant to do all the things he did, you know, and made him the entrepreneur that he was, Yeah, you know. Um, He went to the school, uh, London School of Economics as well on, so like he was fairly Yeah, well there weren't too many, I suspect, fellas from Kerry or Killardon or anywhere in Ireland for that matter going to the London School of Economics in the early 1920s, um, which is kind of testament to his tenacity and wanting to get on with life, I suppose, and when he came back to Ireland then in the in the um, in the late 20s, um, 
he immediately set about, as you used the word, I think, a minute ago, like if he was around today, he'd definitely be on Dragon's Den as an entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, um, and that's kind of probably, I would argue, a more important aspect of his life almost than the politics, because um, over the course of a number of decades in Killordan, he set up so many different businesses and was always trying new things. He was very forward thinking, uh, be it, um, you know, work, setting up a quarry or the coal business or importing and exporting from Balikasan Pier and all of that. Um, employing people and setting and creating employment in the 30s and 40s and 50s which were you know dreadful economic times in Ireland and to be doing that uh, during and after the second world war and in that period when when at a time when many people were immigrating and immigration was the only choice for many uh, to be, to be creating the kind of employment that he was uh, and innovating like he was for so long was probably uh, as significant a part of his life as as his political career yeah and uh, we will get into that a bit more because like you say there's the different aspects there's the business there's the politics and there's the greyhounds because uh, when I mentioned um, Chobaton, my father mentioned the Greyhound's name. It's amazing, you know, yeah. that uh, like it's so well known and so famous. Um, we're going to take a break. Before we do that as well, we we actually don't know where Chob came from, do we? You're, you're all, we're, we're not, yeah. No. We're not, no. We're not certain. Anyway, no. My father didn't, I don't think he did either, really. It was... Yep. Very good. So we might we might put that out there. <laughs> we take any suggestions. Uh, yeah, maybe you know at home. Oh eight three three hundred three three hundred for your text. You can call us on 6 We're talking about the book Chubb, The Life and Times of a Remarkable Carryman by Patrick Chubb O'Connor with Owen O'Shea. We're going to take a break. We'll have more after these. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry, brought to you in association with Virgin Media, turning this Black Friday red in the Virgin Media Playhouse of Offers. See virginmedia.ie for more details. Yeah, I hope you're enjoying the programme. We're talking about this wonderful book, Chubb, The Life and Times of a Remarkable Kerry Man, by Patrick Chubb O'Connor, his late son, and uh, Owen O'Shea was uh, there to take the manuscript which Patrick had written before he died to add some material to it and edit it and get it published and uh, we're also we're joined by Owen but we're also joined by Chubb's grandchildren Paula uh, Lucy and Mark O'Connor Owen we haven't even touched his political career so tell us uh, about that uh, how was all that going in tandem with the business and everything else um, well, it seems when Chubb came back from London, he got involved in Fianna Fáil, which was set up in 1926, and I think he was sort of a, a founding member of the party in, in the Killardlin area, but, you know, people that he, that he would have been involved with in the old IRA, like Jack Flynn and Castlemaine and people like that. Um, so he first contested elections for the council in, in I think, 42, um, uh, you know, and was, was elected um, and retained his seat there for, for decades afterwards on, on the county council. Um but it wasn't until 1961 that he contested a general election and there's a good story in the book about how Sean Lamas, who was the Taoiseach at the time, uh, came to Killardon to have dinner with the family and to try and persuade Chubb to run for, for the doll because um, at the time Mrs Crowley, Honour Mary Crowley, who was one of the, the sitting TDs, was, um, shall we say, pushing on in years and as, as it happened she she became ill and died in 66 but um, there was a, a, a need, I suppose, to get new people into the party or new people elected for the party so Lamas persuaded Chubb to run in 61 and he won a seat and unseated um, John Joe Rice of Sinn Féin who'd been elected in 57 uh, and from then to 1981 20 years exactly he, he retained his seat in Kerry South which as we know in Kerry politics to retain your seat for any length of time is an achievement in itself but to, to have gone on and, and remained in the doll for, for 20 years without a break was uh, was was a, was a fair achievement and he, and he did that I think so successfully because of his 
profile, you know, as a business person and somebody who created so much employment. But he also did it very well with, with John O'Leary, who was the TD for most of his time, in that they divided the constituency very well between them and something that Fianna Fáil has been renowned for over the years, you know, vote management and, and managing the constituency very well. So the job would have sort of stayed to um, West Kerry and the sort of western half of Ivra and then John O'Leary would have stayed in Killarney and East Kerry side of a thing so um, they managed to do that very well and very successfully for 20 years and even though Chubb wasn't ever a minister or a junior minister um, John O'Leary was for a period in the 70s um, he is I think what you would describe as um, an old school constituency politician, you know, in the best sense of it, in that, you know, he was a constituency slogger and delivered to the constituency and worked for the constituency um, and served under three different um, Taoiseach, Sean Lamas, Jack Lynch and Charles Hahi. So he had um, an interesting and, 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 and colourful political career working with some of, the, some of the, the, the biggest names in Irish politics over the years. Yeah, to say the least, yeah, a lot of it, yeah. <laughs> there, people would know a lot about them. Um, just in, in relation, we're looking at, again, and this is a testament to the book as well, there's some wonderful photos. The political gatherings back then, the outdoor political gatherings especially, the crowds that'd be at them. Was he a good speaker in public, do you know? Um, well, he must have been because, but as, as you say, in those days, the only, I mean, we forget this nowadays, the only way to communicate with constituents back then was... Sunday after Mass to address an after Mass meeting. There was no Instagram post or Twitter. There wasn't, or, uh, you know, and there wasn't, there was no Radio Kerry back then. Yeah. There was barely Radio Ireland, which, you know, wasn't used for political advertising. Um, so the only way to connect with people, you know, in rural Kerry and like Chubb and politicians in those days would have had to spend their Sundays travelling around and Saturday evenings travelling around to, to, to every Mass in, 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 the, in the constituency. And I suppose you had to be a powerful speaker in those days because you had to, you know, this was the era of pre-amplification and you you stood up on the back of a pony and trap or you stood up on the wall or you stood up on a ditch and you addressed people as they were coming out of mass. And that's there's a great picture on the back of the book of Chubb addressing a group in, in or a crowd in, in Killardon sometime in the late 40s. Um, and we were saying before we came on air there that it's almost all men in the photograph. Um, maybe the women weren't allowed to attend political meetings in those days. I don't know. But uh, that was the way it was done and that was a hard a hard slog back in those days having to to travel around whether it was on his motorbike or on his in in, in his motor car to to um to connect with constituents but you know that that old style of politics is kind of probably lost in the midst of time now and probably something we kind of forget about but it was it was um it was the way it was done back then in in the world pre pre media or social media yeah i've written down here fearless because that's what he strikes me as a man that is fearless so i don't think speaking in front of a crowd would uh, knock too much out of him um mark and paula what are your own kind of i suppose favourite memories of, of, of um, Chubb growing up? What would, what would stand out? I suppose my memories of him I suppose from a political point of view was he used to take me off in the car with him not so much canvassing but visiting and doing a bit of canvassing and I could be gone from early in the morning I wouldn't get home till and I was only young lad yeah. but I can remember him when we used to travel, we'd say the likes of Glencar and these places, and he'd pull up outside a house, and they would literally come out the door, Chubb is here, Chubb is here. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, the way that yeah. you'd nearly hunt people from your front door these days, with the, you know, but, uh, and into the house, into every house, it was a long day, but it was, they just wanted him, they were... They were, they were, they, they, you know, they were mad about him, like. Yeah. You know? And was that canvassing he was doing? Canvassing, yeah. and other times in it, it'd be just, it would be out for a drive. Yeah. You know, he'd take me away with him for the day like that. But 
I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't lend back till all hours of the night like you know what it was I mean? a great babysitting for us it was a, just a long day but it was it was phenomenal like how popular he was and yeah. they just everyone wanted a piece of him but he was a man that if he you know if people came to him with a problem or an issue he was a man that got things done yeah he, there wasn't you know there was no false promises or anything like that he he followed through on everything like you know and yeah. that, that's why he was so popular really. and uh, is there anything you've taken from him in your life do you think um well, I suppose, you know, he was a man of conviction, I suppose, and, you know, when you're doing things, try and see it through if you can, you yeah. know what I mean? I yeah. suppose I wouldn't be political myself, I just, you know, I wouldn't be that way inclined, but, you know, I suppose like that, you know, if you are kind of, you know, follow things through and get it done if you can. Yeah, because like, you he know. had principles, you can see that. Oh, so yeah, yeah, I mean, you only have to read the book to, yeah. to know that, I suppose, and I suppose one thing from the book you could take out of it, the stance he took on the vote for the farmer's dole um, back in, I can't think of the, the year they're on, in the, the, the 70s, the that, you know, they were trying to cut the farmer's dole and he wouldn't vote on it. Um, he he just uh, took a stance on that and it it was the right thing to do because the people really you know the farmers especially like you know they they, they really appreciated what he did after that you know yeah. that, that he didn't he didn't fold he didn't break you know yeah but yeah Paula your favourite memories um, well I suppose the election time was all about um, posters and stickers <laughs> and we were sticking those round stickers everywhere with vote number one chub onto everything we could find <laughs> yeah and um, that's a time when the elections were like big oh, massive, and everyone yeah. was involved like you see the, the even the following parties had there was loads of people yeah. out that is not there uh, you know now uh, as much as not it was as back much. then was, yeah, it was unbelievable yeah so sorry Paula yeah yeah just that all, all the paraphernalia that went with an election like you know so I suppose we're interested I love the count as well myself mm-hmm. I went a few times I thought it was fascinating my father was the tallies uh, of the counts oh, and all this he was <laughs> sending me over to the, the tables and he was saying how many was there and this thing I said oh there wasn't a lot for whoever we were looking at for at, at that time that's recently now yeah. and um, yeah I found it very I found it very very exciting oh, yeah. yeah we used everywhere. <laughs> everywhere yeah you'd have to go put up the posters well, and you'd have to yeah. put them on to onto whatever yeah. boards and yeah, yeah. then they'd have to put up on the poles and yeah we'd be off for the day doing that kind of thing but yeah. it was look it was all good I, I suppose I do actually sorry for cutting back but to take the the political side out of it I suppose I, I can remember it's just a memory I have of another 12 county final <laughs> and uh, I remember my father brought brought you up to the game like you know and I was I was playing the same day but he was just I remember seeing him on the sideline and you know it was just a moment yeah. just, you know geez, I was first proud of it all together yeah. no we lost the same day but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Chubb didn't lose much and, uh, and there must have been loads of celebrations as well when he'd oh, come home successful yeah. sure oh, yeah, yeah yeah. I mean all of those memories are a bit vague but you know yeah. you still know there was excitement in the house and yeah. all that kind of thing we used to also work in the yard with him the timber yard um, myself and my sisters and uh, we'd work in the office and he'd be always clocking up we'd be selling nuts and bolts and all bits and pieces inside there and uh, he'd be calculating always on the calculator and then he'd be doodling on pieces of paper he used to be always doodling as well so I don't know maybe yeah. Rochelle got her art down through the yes, and I don't y- know yeah <laughs> I think my father my father inherited his, his calculator skills and everything yeah. yeah I used to be out I would have been out in the yard itself working yeah and well, my uncle Teddy was—it was my father and my uncle Teddy really were, they were the mainstays in the in the business 
there, like, but yeah, Joe would be on one calculator was, and my father would be over here on the other calculator. Just <laughs> <laughs> inherit it, I think, from... Yeah. Did he sleep at all? Like, because he, he must have been, he must have had to be up very early. That's, go a, to bed good, very that's a good everything. question. Yeah. 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 It's hard to know. Yeah, he must have been very active. Yeah. Um, we'll mention Rochelle, your daughter, in a minute, uh, because she, there's wonderful illustrations in this book. But on the Greyhounds, we have to get to the Greyhounds. Tell us about that. Very, very successful with them as well. Well, I must confess, Joe, before I got involved in this research and book with Patrick, I knew nothing about greyhounds and now, now I consider myself an expert <laughs> to the point that I'll go to the dog track now one of these nights and put 50 quid on a dog and see, see what comes back um, like yeah Chubb is probably best remembered maybe outside of politics for greyhounds and from a young age and Patrick probably inherited that love as well for, for greyhounds and um, you know the names, uh, you know, those in the those who wouldn't even be familiar with Greyhounds would would have heard the name Spanish Battleship and Spanish Lead, Spanish Battleship because he broke a record by becoming the first dog in history to win three Irish Greyhound Derbies in a row between fifty three and fifty five. Um, so it seems that was a, a passion of of, um, of, Ch- of Chubbs from a very young age, and like you said a minute ago, how he got the time to sleep between running a business and running uh, for politics and, and keeping greyhounds on the go as well um, was a fair achievement. Um, and there's um, there was a famous court case or infamous court case, which is detailed in the book, which I won't go into in detail now about about Spanish lad, um, one of the well-known greyhounds who 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 drowned essentially um, and there was a long running saga there that, that um, another greyhound owner claimed that Chubb was trying to pass off another dog as Spanish lead which was um, very bizarre kind of a case in many ways and could have kind of ruined Chubb if it mm-hmm. went the wrong way but yeah your reputation he, yeah. yeah he was um, I'm not sure like there was some maybe there was some kind of a personal vendetta or what at the root of it I don't know but Patrick goes into great detail on it in the book um and it was a famous case from which Chubb emerged, uh, rightly so, um, completely innocent of, of any charges. But beyond that, um, yes, he, there, there are great stories that Patrick wrote in the book about um, the greyhounds being brought home to Killarney and after winning races and there'd be parades through the town and celebrations and Porter would be flying. And um, I think there was one occasion, was there, when, when the Sam Maguire Cup and Spanish Battleship and... What was the other one? Was oh. there? Oh, the uh, Ross Talton. The Ross. Yes, Jane yeah, yeah. Mangan had won. Jane Mangan from Killarney yes. won a race. There was a triple celebration, um, <laughs> which is described there. So they had the greyhounds, the football, and the the, the cycling. All oh, the they needed was the buck goat. Yeah, yeah. Go there. <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine the greyhound would be a lot easier to bring into a pub. You see horses there. You know, after them inside the pub. Um, we're talking about this wonderful book, Chubb: The Life and Times of a Remarkable Carryman by Patrick Chubb O'Connor, um, with Owen O'Shea, and we're also joined by um, Chubb's grandchildren. Connor from Flinshire and glad to hear about Timothy Chubb O'Connor um, as his father always voted uh, for him and uh, we've another wonderful message in here. Um, congratulations to Owen O'Shea um, on the publication of his uh, of this wonderful book a must read on the life and times of a great politician. He brought so much success and prosperity to Clorgan and surrounding area looking forward to the book launch in Clorgan Morris McSweeney. We'll be talking about that after the break and we have a few more messages to get there but keep them coming 066 you can text the WhatsApp 083 300 3300 
The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you in association with Virgin Media. Turning this Black Friday red in the Virgin Media Playhouse of Offers. See virginmedia.ie for more details. Yes, and lots of messages coming in now on 066 You can text WhatsApp 083-300-3300 about Chubb O'Connor. And we have a theory on the name. The name Chubb came from the fishing tackle they used to sell with Nana Chubb in their shop in Evera Road. This is Deirdre Chubb. So there you have it. That's, that's, a, that's a good theory from Deirdre. Could be right, Deirdre. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mike Healy Ray gets in touch. Congrats to all the family and to Ono O'Shea on what he is sure will be a great account of a great carry man and a politician that will be remembered very fondly for all generations um, to come. And uh, Chubb also held his meetings in houses for different areas. He held some of his meetings in our house for the Beaufort area. Eileen in Beaufort. And yeah. Um, um, uh, Mark, you had a quick greyhound story there yeah, before we move on from the no, greyhounds. Keep you here for the day talking about some of the stories my father told me. <laughs> but uh, it was just they had been at a, a meeting in Cork. I think it was Spanish led. Was the greyhound? But they had won the they had won the race anyway. And uh, of course they were the Cork leads weren't too happy to see them coming up too, <laughs> uh, so often. But anyway, they were coming back anyway. And my father was in the car. Joe was in the car. The car was full, and the greyhound was in the boot. So they had to stop every so often to leave him out to, you know, stretch his legs. So there, yeah. they were coming over the Trillium Mountain and they said, you just better leave him out anyway. So they opened the boot and he set a hair up the Trillium Mountain <laughs> and the greyhound took off. And the way my father tells us, they were about four hours above around the Trillium Mountain with the lights of the car showing up the mountain trying to get the dog back into the boot. <laughs> That's a great story. Uh, Paul, uh, I'm looking here at this wonderful illustration of your uh, grandfather and the book has some wonderful illustrations to it and that's another family connection there Rochelle uh, yeah that is Rochelle yeah she's a great artist your daughter yeah, yeah, my daughter. She um, well, she just did that painting because she knew Granda was doing the book, and she, yeah. my father now, and uh, she had been in and out of the house so often, and he had all his paperwork laid out and everything. So she saw him there, and she said she'd just do a painting um, for him. It wasn't for the book, but yeah. the minute he saw it, he just loved it. And yeah, that's there was no place more suitable than to put that on the cover of the book for sure. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's fabulous. Because I was looking at it there. There's the eyes is just amazing because yeah, there's a warmth amazing. in the eyes there's a bit of roguery there there's a glint there you know it's, there is yes. there's a lot and there's probably a lot of us you could see in it a lot of the family a lot of the cousins I said more than our side even yeah Deirdre Chubb would know. Yeah. <laughs> She'd see her own family in that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there's another connection then as well with the cover. The oh yeah, the cover, Rochelle's partner. We have a massive thanks to say to um, Dara. Um, he works for well, himself, Kinch Designs. A little plug, Dara. Um, yeah, he designed the cover and we're we're delighted with it yeah, yeah and while you're on the thank yous you can keep going because I know you want okay, to thank, yeah. thank you a few thank people, people. <laughs> well we wanted to thank Kaylee and Dominica for typing um, earlier on in the time um, Josette at Carrie Boy Typesetting Services for the design of the book uh, com. www.rochellelucy.com there's my plugs now yeah um, Owen of course for all the research editing for calling to the house for being so accommodating he's been unbelievable uh, keeping us informed of everything his attention to detail we'll be forever grateful yeah. um, fantastic yeah yeah, yeah. 
Um, we have another message in here. Hi, Joe. Well done to Owen uh, on helping write another great book. He is so interesting. Listen, he's great for delving into our past in Ireland. And it comes in from uh, Charles. And uh, thanks a million for that, um, Charles. You mentioned it at the start, Owen, but I think it's worth saying again how important books like this are and then again I like that you mentioned that you know it's from the son's perspective that it's more a memoir because that's important as well even for the reader you know there's something for everyone in that it's not just a political book because his life was so varied there were yeah, so many aspects in many ways like if you were to write a kind of a biography of Chubb to be you know to be kind of chronological to be a bit more mm. kind of cold almost and yeah. removed from it's, it's much better when you get an account of somebody's life from somebody who knew them yeah you know, not least some one of their one of their children, and like I was thinking coming in this morning, how fortunate um, the O'Connor family and future generations of the O'Connor family, like you know, Chubb's grandparents and great, or sorry, great grandchildren and grandchildren are to have that written down and documented forevermore, because like the current generation don't don't communicate with the older generations anymore, which I think is one of the great tragedies yeah. of the moment. And this is what I always say to young people nowadays, um, talk to your grandparents and talk to the older generation because the memories that they have and had and the stories that they haven't had are lost otherwise. Um, and thankfully, you know, through Patrick's efforts now, that's documented forevermore and it's there mm-hmm. forevermore. And in a hundred years, if somebody's looking for information on yeah. Chubb O'Connor and we're all dead sure. and gone, they'll be able yeah. to yeah. look at Patrick's account and learn about him, do you know? Yeah, we're almost out of time. Tell us about the launch. When is it taking place? So it's on in Tenbridge Street in Killardlin, um on Friday, the 24th of November, which is Friday week. Yes. At 7.30. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the book is being launched by Jerry Collins, uh, the former MEP and TD, and probably one of the few contemporaries of Chubb in the Dáil who's who's still still with us. Um, and Jerry wrote the foreword Forward, actually for yeah, the for yeah. the book as well. And um, Jerry is still hale and hearty. And good morning to him if he's listening in in Abbey Field. Uh, but Jerry will be doing the honours on Friday the twenty fourth at half past seven in in Killardon, and it's an open open invitation to everybody. Everybody welcome. Around. Very good. Um, finally, I'd say your father must would be so proud. It's, you know, I, I know he's not going to be there on the night, but he'd be there in spirit. He must be very proud of the fact this book is going to be launched. Yeah, uh, I. Uh, exactly. Um, if he was there on the night, I can guarantee you it would have been one of his finest moments. Yeah. Because he was so proud of Chubb's achievements in his life. So. Yeah. Yeah, he'd yeah. be in his element to be chatting with everybody and oh, just loving the yeah. fact that, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, no, but well done to you and congratulations oh, that you did so go much. go and pursue it because often things, times things are left on the shelf. Yeah. And, you know, it, it takes a lot of bravery for you as well to, you know, to do that. So congratulations. Uh, thanks a million for coming in. Thanks, thanks Joe. Joe. Thanks, uh, Paula Lucy and Mark O'Connor and also Ono Shea. Thanks a million as always. Pleasure having you in. Previously of this parish, well done to Ono Shea for his review. A, politi- a politician like him is needed these days from Donald Murphy, Nachnagashal Historical Society. Do you want to announce anything on here uh, this morning? No, I did, con- I did contest an election in the past, but that's be my one and only time doing so, I can assure you, John. <laughs> Very good. Well, Chubb, The Life and Times of a Remarkable Carryman by Patrick Chubb O'Connor with Owen O'Shea. And it's going to be in all good bookshops for Christmas as well. We'll take a break for the news. I will join you again the next hour. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you in association with Virgin Media. Turning this Black Friday red in the Virgin Media Playhouse of Offers. See virginmedia.ie for more detail. Yeah, and you're into the second hour of the Saturday Supplement. I hope you're enjoying the programme so far. Get in touch with us. 066 712 You can text the WhatsApp 
Just after half ten or around ten thirty, we are going to have our Kerry County Council Creative Kingdom letting you know what's going on in the arts world. But first, I'm delighted to say Dingle Birdwatcher Tom Lynch is on the line to talk about the importance of feeding the birds this time of year. And also, there was an important survey um, done as well, and a whole lot more besides. Tom, how are you? Long time no talk. How are you getting on? Good morning, Joe. How are you getting on? How thing? Good morning, your listeners. Um, uh, grand, grand. That's good. I, I tell you now, I was up in my mother's place there a few days ago and she has the birds fed there and it's an absolute spectacle to see them all come to the eating the, the bird nuts or the bird seeds and all that. So it is important into this time of year that we start to feed the birds. Well, from now on, yeah. yeah kind of maybe, you know, they're okay and maybe up, up to now because there's lots of natural food out there but from now on that, that would be getting scarce and the days are shorter as well so they have less time to feed and less time to forage so yeah it's from now on lots and lots of people are feeding in the gardens and um, various foods peanuts seeds major seeds fat balls and fruit and oh, people have berry bushes as well in the garden and people put out scraps and so on so it, it's all grand it, it, it all, all any food you put out it's eaten and it's a good idea to put a water as well especially in, if it's frosty and it's cold you know mm. this and in a sort of a shallow bowl you know yeah this might seem like a silly question now but you know you know the way they kind of make their nests when they're about to have their young and all that does that nest last the year for the winter then as well or what happens during no, the winter no 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 they rarely use the nest once the young have fledged that the nest is Sometimes it might be reused the following year, but uh, it depends on the species. But um, no, they don't. They don't. They they roost in hedges and bushes and under eaves uh, of houses and things like that, sheds and so on. But are in sheds sometimes. But um, no, they 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 rarely use the nest. Uh, sometimes um, birds like the wren would use uh, maybe nest boxes where yeah. uh, a group of them, maybe ten, twenty birds will go in together on a very very cold night but that's kind of rare enough but people have observed it you know in, in cold weather but um, smaller birds especially the rent would use something like an S-box um, but usually it's, it's some shelter spot and um, there's a long night there really because you know birds uh, have to begin to roost maybe from half four on and then they don't um, they don't wake up again and then go to feed and maybe have seven or eight o'clock in the morning you know so you, they're really only feeding for roughly seven seven and a half hours less as we shove into December you know mm. so they, they have a they have a short period of time to find food and that food has to sustain them overnight that it's the energy generated by the food that they eat that sustains them and during the night and the cold nights particularly if they don't get enough food then they perish, you know. So yeah, it's it, it, the, that's why the food is important. The garden feeders and so on, the peanuts or whatever. Yeah. Or. Um, before we talk about the survey, um, something I heard there recently enough about the, the robin. The robin's going to feature now a lot on Christmas cards, and it's it's seen as a kind of a symbol of peace and serenity. But they can be fairly uh, aggressive. They're very territorial, and I was listening to. Oh, they are. Yes, <laughs> uh, the, well, the, the robin. The robin's own. Well, the, the wren sings a bit as well throughout the year, but the robin sings all through the year. You hear a bird singing in your garden now, more than likely it's a robin. Mm. 
mm. could be a wren but it's a robin or a wren um, now the reason they're singing is to proclaim their territory that they're there that this is their territory and they sing they stop and they listen and they listen for the neighbouring robin to ensure that he or she is in her or his territory yeah. and then they sing again to say this is my territory now how they decide what size their territory is we don't know it could be a twig or a branch or a wall or whatever but they have a certain area that they regard as theirs could be your garden could be your garden next door you yeah. know whatever and um, they will chase away any other robin that comes into that territory um, until such a time maybe as maybe the end of December January February when they decide to take on a partner to build a nest then you'll see two robins together and that's a sign that they're they're thinking of building a nest or are building a nest or whatever but that, that won't happen now yeah. in November yeah but even at, uh, the, even at that they can't really tell a male from a female even themselves can they no 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 they look they look the same but the robin, a robin can tell a male from a female but we can't well a ringer somebody who rings the birds can but uh, if they have them in the hand but to look out the window and see a robin you, you don't know whether it's a male or a female Um they, it's the, the what they can tolerate as well is the red in the the the, the breast of the robin. Uh, if, if people have if you put out the little robin that you have on the Christmas tree, yes, on on on, on a branch, they'll attack that entire <laughs> robin and then pick all the red out of it. Oh my! They leave the rest of it alone. It's just the redness. Yeah. And sometimes people uh, contact about a robin uh, banging on the window. Yeah. And it's usually because there's something red inside the window, a red little picture or a, maybe sometimes a red candle or whatever, you know. There's yeah. the, 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 this reflection that they, they can't tolerate red in their territory. Yeah. So uh, that's why a baby robin, for example, is is uh, brown, speckled brown in its, in its earlier months because otherwise the robins would not tolerate it in in its own territory in their own what it would be born like yeah so and, that's and you often hear birds flying into windows is that kind of a similar thing where they see the reflection or something well, or? well if they're continuously attacking a window it's probably a reflection yeah but it's uh, crashing into windows a different thing sometimes sparrowhawks and other birds will do that because what happens there is that the window and the window opposite it they, they see the light and they think they can fly through yeah and then uh, they forget the glass and they, they bang into the glass um, sparrowhawks will often bang into the glass because they, the sparrowhawk comes into the, ga- the garden we'll say to catch smaller birds and it might miss but in its, in its haste to catch the smaller bird it forgets about the window yeah. bangs into the window because yeah. it's travelling too fast basically yeah Tom we're getting loads of messages in uh, the crows keep uh, taking the seed I put out and they've even managed to take the bird feeder down is there any way to keep them away Anne Marie and then another one just listening to you there about feeding the birds which is a good thing don't agree with throwing scraps in the garden because it attracts eagles but we're not on about scraps now we're talking about like uh, proper well, bird feeders well uh, what, 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 two things there it's uh, um, we'll the rooks and crows and so on coming in um, if if the food is in feeders with the peanuts and so on, generally, and if, if you hang it on a branch or hang it on a, a, a feeding port, they generally find it hard enough to to get on the, the feeders. Now, jacktails will get on the feeders, all right. Mm. Now, you can get feeders that actually have an outer cage that excludes the larger birds. Yes, the the the, the, the small birds can fly in through. Yes, the bars and get into the inner feeder. But um, 
as regards scraps, um, two things I suppose really. Number one, if you are putting them out, put, put them out early in the day because at least they'll be eaten and be gone and they won't attract unwanted visitors at night. Um, as well as that, make sure it's cooked. We say if you're putting out rice or potatoes or whatever, make sure they're, they're cooked. Um, and also with... Um, with uh, bread, just wish it. Don't don't throw dry bread, you know. But um, it, it, they do, scraps do attract the larger birds, uh, like rooks, magpies, even seagulls. So, and you mightn't be too popular with your neighbours either if you were living in the town or close proximity to another house. Um, if there's a clothes line or whatever, so uh, scraps should it's, um, for yourself whether you put them out or not. Um, rooks are very clever, and they will actually knock off the peanut feathers so maybe time with a bit of wire or a bit of card or something right. so they can't knock them off you yeah. know you, you, you kind of have to hold with them in a way you know yeah. <laughs> the, the, some rooks some rooks don't bother with feathers they just see them as too much trouble especially yeah. peanut feathers seeds and so on they don't bother with them but others will get inquisitive and they'll perch up on top and they'll try knock them down the ground and get the feather get the nuts to spill out of the feather if they succeed once they'll come back and they'll try it again and again you know yeah um, we've got a wonderful photo sent in to us here it's like a green little bird this is a great tit I, I think sheltering in our shed most nights now that comes from Bally Bunny listener if, if, if it's a great tit as Frankin used to always say, <coughs> say always in mourning it has a a black tie sort of uh, uh, like it's wearing a black tie yes um it, it, uh, the, the female has a narrower sort of tie and the male has a broader this, this is a tie uh, down the front yeah you're right I see it yeah, there. yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That, that's, that's the, always morning yeah yes um, always going to funeral yeah, this, the survey <laughs> um, that was done by uh, Birdwatch Ireland um, and uh, it was in um, Wings magazine this week tell us what, yeah. uh, what were the kind of the findings that stood out to you <clears throat> well the, the survey has been going on in gardens for the last 30 years now uh, the number of gardens taking part increased a lot during lockdown. I think there's over 2,000 gardens, and the, the gardens could vary in size from half the size of a tennis court or smaller to an acre or larger. And basically, what you do from the end of November to February, each week you know the highest number of each species that you see at any one time when you go at your garden. For example, uh, if you see some birds almost every day, I remember that we only want the highest single count for a species in a given week. Mm. So, for example, if you look out and you see two blue tits in the morning and three in the evening, then your number to beat for the rest of the week is three. Okay. You, you don't add them up. You don't say two and three is five. It's, it's the highest number of that species that you saw in the garden in the week. There's no specific time to do it you can do it when you're having a cup of tea or coffee to go out the window when you're doing the dishes or standing at the back door or whatever um, and it's it's just you, you know it you write it down and remember it and then you write in for the week um, they, it would be the, uh, you count basically the, mainly the common species but you you, you could get scared for birds as well coming depending on where you are Mm. Now the the survey's gone. I said it's gone back well, since nineteen ninety or thereabouts, you know. Um, and it's the they let they they call it the results. And um, I'll give just give you the top ten yeah. for, the, for this year, like they used to do in the top of the pops. <laughs> and number ten is the the rain, and it's uh, undercounted because 
it's a skulk side naive in the back of bushes and so on mm. random nearly never again but it's at number 10 number 9 is the starling you won't miss those because if one comes in lots will come in uh, goldfinch was a lovely bird uh, used to be quite scarce in garden but since the feeders and so on have, have increased a lot um, very colourful then with the house sparrow and again if you won you probably have a good few then the chaffinch and then at number 5 the great chit that you just mentioned yeah and number, number 4 are uh, Border that people don't like to see because they're associated with bad luck, the magpie. Yes. Uh, well, one for sorrow, two for joy. Yeah, well, people <laughs> hate to see one the morning of all, and all Ireland, I know, in the mind. <laughs> he, he saw one this year, the morning of an all Ireland, just before he left the house. Yeah. And he said, I do, I do, we're going to lose today. Yeah, I saw one this morning, Tom, and I always try to look out for another one, then I caught that even well, if they, I see it half an hour they, later. They also <laughs> say, close your eyes off, and again, you, you've seen two. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Go on, so what number uh, are we on no, now? No. Number three number is the blue three. Chick, which is the, the blue <laughs> and number two is the blackbird. Now, actually, the blackbird, the male is black, but the female is brown, so at times people think it's a different bird. And in Irish, they have two names. The Lundum is from Kershuk. The Lundum is the male. The Kershuk is the female. Mm. So... But anyway, at number two is the blackbird, and at number one is our friend, the robin. Very everyone, good. And back everyone to the... sees, yeah. Everyone sees the robin, and the robin is... Of course, the robin is very confiding as well, and if it's inquisitive, and if you're doing something in the garden, it will come close to you. So people recognise it; they probably see it a lot more easier than they do other birds, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it's 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 in every garden. But I I would also say look out for the wren because the, the wren is probably in every garden as well. You yeah. know, it pops in and out, and uh, but it's just not as obvious as and not as colourful as the robin's brown and it's dark and. It's yeah, it camouflages almost, yeah. It um, does, yeah. yeah. We're getting loads yeah. of messages in, Tom. Um, morning, could you ask the, the man, Tom is the man, about magpies and crows who are scavenging our bird feeders, David and Brussels. That's another one about them. We've answered that kind of already. Bird, bird story from a listener. Two weeks ago, a starling fell down my chimney to my stove and nearly gave me a heart attack. It went straight for the window once I opened the stove. Jeez, you'll get a right there. And is it true that yeah. robins are solitary birds? That comes in from uh, John. And we've kind of said they are solitary birds, really, until a certain time of the year when they want to mate. Mm-hmm. But uh, other than that, it's... And then your your cousin gets in touch. Uh, it says Tom's cousin. And uh, good morning. Robin comes to, into my hand every day for oatlets. And that comes out. Oh, in yeah. I, I, I know. I know. It's my cousin, John Devan, down in the spa. Um, yeah. It, 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 you, it, it, they learn that behavior from maybe a Robin that has been trained by someone to yeah. come into their hand. And <clears throat> the way you do that is you get... Um, handle of a bush or something and you, you put a glove at the end of it that looks like a hand and on that you put um, orchids or needleborns or whatever and then if the robin touches on that you gradually bring the glove closer to your hand uh, over a number of days Yes. and eventually you replace the glove with your own hand now it could take up to three weeks you'd want patience well, for that yeah. you'd, want pa- you'd want patience and mm. the only thing is if, if one robin does that more than likely the descendants of that robin may continue to do that That's because they've observed the bird doing it yeah. and learn behaviour our, our robins in in the area may may do it or sometimes robins that would be in a public park where people would picnic and so on yeah. may have learned to do that Yeah, you know uh, that, that robins are fairly trusting of, of humans more so than other birds 
all the most of the birds are kind of fly away faster from humans than robins do. Yeah, they're a bit robins cheekier. Are, yeah, they are. They're, yeah. and they, they kind of feel that um, we're not going to do any great harm to them, and because uh, funny enough, the robins in continental Europe are not at all as confiding. Yeah. That they 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 hide away in the bushes and the forest and so on. They don't come don't come near humans. They think that the robins in in, in Ireland and Britain um, kind of learned that behaviour from coming in when people had pigs in the kind of the backyard and they forage around where the pigs were. Yeah, and that that was a learned behaviour. It's, it's, it's something it's something Tom Irish people don't like to see is a robin coming into the house. There's a pishow kind of with that, like. Oh, there is. Yeah, there's some people if they feel if a robin comes into the house that. Uh, Side of that someone's going to die and yeah. so on. Um, personally, I don't think there's any truth. I, I, robins sometimes they get trapped inside the house, they, they fly in the door. So in some houses, they come in quite regularly, and some people feed them inside in the house in the back kitchens and yeah. utility rooms and so on. They just open the door and they put they put down outlets and so on. And the robin comes in, and you know, again, if, if it comes in a few times a week, no one dies. Well, that's the end of that's Peshawar, yeah, 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 but, you know, yeah. It, it, Tom, we have to go to break. Stay with us because I want to ask you about where are the birds gone, the ones that would be around now during the summer and where are they gone now and what are they, what are they up to? But we'll go to a break. Keep those messages coming in 066 712 You can text WhatsApp 083 300 The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry brought you in association with Virgin Media turning this Black Friday red in the Virgin Media Playhouse of Offers. See virginmedia.ie for more details. Tom Lynch from Dingle is still with us. There isn't anything he doesn't know about birds and we are talking about now I suppose Tom, this is what I was kind of wondering there during the week. Where are these where are the birds gone now, the ones that come from these far off places and uh, when will they be back to us and what are they at? Well, funny thing about it is we actually have more birds in the country now than we do during the summer. Really? Yes, more birds actually migrate in here for the winter because our winters are so mild for, for oh, birds. Yes, yeah. We said the winter is very cold, but for them coming from, we'll say, Scandinavia or Iceland or wherever, it's much milder here. The birds that we had that have flown south are in either somewhere in Europe or probably not in Africa. Some birds like the swallow and house martins, sand martins, the cuckoo, although they're all in Africa now. And the corn crake used to do that, like, like no. The corn crake yeah. is the same, yeah. The, Amazing the, to the, think of that when you think the of the corn. bird. Yeah, yeah, they, 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 and and a lot of other birds that we, we, you know, that we see around during the summer, they may not be with us now. They may have gone south, maybe only as far as France or Spain, mm. uh, but then again, you look out and you see blackbirds now. They may not be the blackbirds that you saw during the summer. They may be blackbirds from Scandinavia or oh, whatever, yeah. or Northern Scotland. Uh, they do say that if you see a blackbird chasing away other blackbirds, that blackbird is your own, is the one that has been around all the time, the kind of territorial, you know. Mm. Uh, but the same with chaffinch or, you know, uh, we'd say, okay, birds like house sparrows one, they don't go too far. But uh, uh, chaffinch, they, they could be from again come from Scotland or Scandinavia or whatever or even further north um, but it, it, then of course you have flocks of red wing field fair even song thrushes and so on they, 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 and blackbird they all, they all migrate south 
them from the Calder Willows north of us and they come here mainly to feed in the gas or feed in berries or whatever and then by the shore close to lakes or wetlands you'd have birds like the lapwing or national bird as Frank King often told us mm. um, Carlew, Dundon, Sanderling Eister Catcher, Turnstone Ring Plover, Red Shank, Green Shank and ducks such as Widgeon, Teal Tufted Duck, Shell Duck, Shoveler and the like a lot of those would be in very small numbers breeding in Ireland but in the winter time we'd have thousands now we used to have a lot more but some don't need to come as far south now because of climate change and so on and as well as that lots of habitat and so on maybe they're not breeding in, in the same numbers for the north but um, we, we it's it's a, an interesting time to look out for for birds that come in for just was uh, coming maybe October, November. A lot of those, like take for example, lapwing, they'll be gone again in February. It's amazing. You know, that yeah. you'll, you'll 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 see lapwing. You'll see in a lot of coastal areas, a lot of around lakes and so on. You'll see lapwing in even around boggy farmland and so on. And come middle of February, they'll be gone. We we have a small breeding population, but numbers are small now. That yeah. I, I doubt if, if any are breeding in Kerry anymore. You know. Yeah. Um, if they are, it's in very small numbers, you know, and um, it's the same in all the Munster counties. Yeah. Um, Tom, we're, so out, we're, we're out of time. It's I don't know where it's gone. Yeah. We should be. We should have you on morning. Go on, Tom. Yeah. Just, just to mention that if anyone wants to look up anything on birdwatching.ie's website or kerryboarding.blogspot.com or clareboardwatching.com and that the Kerry branch of Birdwatch Ireland is up and running again under the auspices of Tim O'Donoghue's chair and Tony Casey's secretary and the Corkogina branch with Jill Crusher and Michael Cleary is active as well so Excellent. if anyone says to check those out they'd be on birdwatchirland.ie on, on the website so yeah what a wonderful uh, yeah what a wonderful pursuit that, that would be Tom thanks a million for coming on it's always a pleasure yeah and someone's getting in touch say blackbird and the trush are scarce now not as much around as they used to be thanks a million for that that's Tom Lynch there what a, a great person to have on to talk about the birds the messages we're getting is overwhelming about the birds you're all very interested we will bring Tom back again um, uh, some stage in the future because he's absolutely a font of knowledge we're going to take a break and after that we have our Kerry County Council Creative Kingdom the Saturday supplement on radio Radio Kerry, brought you in association with Virgin Media, turning this Black Friday red in the Virgin Media Playhouse of Offers. See virginmedia.ie for more detail. You're listening to the Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry. Now it is the second Saturday of the month, so it's time for Kerry County Council Creative Kingdom, letting you know what's going on in the arts world around this wonderful county of ours. And as always, for this slot, we're joined by Arts Officer from Kerry County Council, Kate Kennelly. Kate, good morning. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Joe. I'm very well, thank you. And good morning to your listeners. Very busy month as usual, Kate. And uh, a few highlights that stand out to you. What, what took place? Well, Joe, since we last met, uh, I was over at um, the Patrick O'Keefe Festival in Castle Island, which was just outstanding. Um, I, I nearly thought the streets themselves were moving with the music. The place was literally throbbing and there was traditional music to be heard, left, right and centre, great atmosphere. And, uh, you know, Cormac and his team, Cormac O'Mahony and his team do outstanding work. 
And we saw some beautiful footage from schools projects they did as well, where they sent musicians into the schools working with secondary school students on Schlieve Lucre music and dancing. And to hear the quality of the music and to see the number of students participating, it's just fantastic. And uh, it was actually said to me by someone in Killarney a few weeks ago, they were saying, um, I'm not sure if you've anything to do with it, but there's a lot of a lot more children and young people playing Schlieve Lucre music. Now, I personally don't have too much to do with it. It's all the people on the ground, the likes of PJ and Cormac, uh, the Concurton Festival, the Patrick O'Keefe Festival, the Hand It Down Festival, um, Touring Cahill Summer School, all of these, and of course, World Fiddle Day. You know, it's, it's the people behind it, Joe, but it's really keeping the tradition alive and well. And I was over at the launch of an archive there on the Sunday night of the festival and uh, just hats off to everyone involved because there was a full house, great interest, and, you know, we were watching footage, Joe, of um, just sessions from the 70s and the 80s. And some of the 70s were before I was born, by the way. And uh, it was just fabulous to see the posters and the artwork. And, you know, uh, it made me think we're really only custodians of a creative flame that passes through from generation to generation. And, you know, it, it's a it's a great um, honour to be part of that. But it really is something that creativity is just alive and well through the generations and um, congrats to all the team. I was also at the uh, National Circus Festival of Ireland and aren't we so lucky to have Con Horgan at Tralee Man bringing circus people from all around the world to Tralee. It was an amazing event. Uh, I, I did see photos of the parade which looked fantastic but I was at an industry uh, day with the circus people and the street performers and Isaacs were there and MTU were heavily involved and uh, great discussions, Joe, and great options and, I suppose, positivity for the future as well. Um, a lot of career opportunities in outdoor performance. So, you know, uh, I think the, back in my day, certainly, if, if I told my father I was going to have to join the circus, he'd have had a calypsion. But I think nowadays people are much more open to the fact that creativity and spectacle and showcasing our culture is really... Um, more of a norm which is just fantastic so just well done again to everyone involved yeah well said um i i've attended the faucet circuits a circus a good few times and it's like cirque du soleil it's absolutely uh wonderful it's some art form and the bravery and the the uh the artistry involved is absolutely astounding um speaking of things that are astounding the glit is taking place from the 17th to the 19th of november and i'm delighted to say we're joined by festival director sheila o'reilly uh sheila you're very welcome geez the year goes around quick it doesn't seem that long ago since I was talking to you about this. How has it been going to build up to it and what should we expect? Yeah, this year is, is going to see our, be our biggest festival yet. It's the fifth year of Dingalit and um, it starts next Friday with our showcase event with Anne Enright and then it'll run through all weekend ending with John Banville. So we have about 42 events taking place over the, over the weekend all in and around Dingle and also out at the Honoured on Blascade. And this year we're kind of most excited that we've doubled the number of events for children and they're all free to attend. So we're expecting up to 220 children across the weekend coming to events. They're going to be listening to stories, maybe meeting authors for the first time. They're going to be drawing characters and just just have, hopefully having a fun time. And uh, those events are taking place in the Dingle Library and also at the Honoured on Blascade 
Um, we've also got some workshops taking place and the former Kerry writer in residence, Nolo Regan, is running a workshop on editing and that's that's really popular. He's also just been shortlisted for Book of the Year for his debut novel. Um, we've got Tralee poet Victoria Kenefick. She's going to be coming along as well as Dingle superstar Nuala Moore talking about swimming around Cape Horn. Uh, we've got Cottle Porter discussing his new book and an event showcasing the best writing on the peninsula. A couple of events, you know, standing out for me would be we've got Richie Piggott, who's going to give a talk on immigrants who moved to Chicago from the peninsula and kept the music tradition alive in the clubs and pubs there. And that's and I think that's really going to resonate with people and got an event celebrating Radio Nagaltak as well as Martin Doyle uh, discussing how the troubles impacted on the parish where he and his family grew up in. And uh, having read the book, they're incredible personal stories of families who, you know, lost loved ones in the troubles. And it's just another example of why violence, for whatever reason, you know, must be condemned. I mean, it's just uh, particularly in the current situation. Mm, very poignant, so it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's really, really, really exciting weekend. And it's a huge thanks to Kate and her team and everybody at Kerry County Council for supporting us and also the Arts Council. Um, it's going to be, yeah, action-packed fun weekend with with lots of people around. Yeah, I've no doubt about it. Where do the people come from? Are they coming from all over? Is it locally or is it further afield? Um, we get a large percentage of the audience come from what I'd call the peninsula, you know, but that would stretch as far as Tralee and Killarney and Kilorgan. And then you get a lot of people from Cork and uh, Dublin. And we do, we do get uh, overseas travellers and our furthest, um, well, actually she's coming as a volunteer, as also an audience member, is um, a person coming from, who's working in the uh, Arctic She's working in the Arctic Circle uh, and she's also she's based in Alaska. So she's coming in for the festival again. And um, so that's really exciting. I mean, I think that's, I don't, we were just like kind of going, wow, that's amazing. Um, that's cultural tourism at its best, <laughs> Sheila. <laughs> that's very yeah, she wasn't, she wasn't able to attend our volunteer um, briefing meeting this week because she was taking a group of um, scientists on an Arctic trail uh, so we thought that was an okay excuse. Well, that is a good excuse. I must use that one in future. Um, yeah. Sheila, <laughs> where can people go for more information? More information and book tickets is on dinglelit.ie. Brilliant. Well, Sheila, we wish you the best luck with it. It sounds absolutely uh, amazing. What a great uh, venue to host something like this. And uh, it sounds like it's action-packed, like you say. So well done and best luck. That's great. Thanks very much. Kate, another fabulous uh, event taking place there and such an important event as well. Completely. And Joe, just to say, like Sheila, to be fair, I mean, when Sheila started Dingalish with her team and Sheila was such a driving force, um, you know, from the very first year, the standard, the quality, it, it was just so good. Um, that it really positioned the festival very well in the ter in terms of you know literary festivals nationally and how it's perceived. So you know between Dingle Lit and I always remember like K Fest as well. It's first year and you know Kerry has a lot of really strong festivals, but it is the people. I'm always saying to you, Joe, it's the people behind it and you know the standard of um, 
product or the standard of showcasing that's put on at the festivals is so strong and you know I mean Sheila was saying there you know we have Kerry writers and like Noel O'Regan was our writer in residence some years ago fabulous guy super to work with and really inspirational and Victoria Kennefick as well amazing poet and um, you know these are these are the next generation of really strong artists that will represent Kerry internationally and you know it's great to be part of it and the likes of Sheila provides such a good showcase so well done to everyone yeah there's no sign are slowing down in this county with everything that's going on and something that's very interesting is the Visual Artist Cafe. Tell us about that, VI uh, Visual Artist Cafe. Yes, so uh, this is co-funded by the Arts Council of Ireland and Kerry County Council and it's part of our efforts to better support visual artists based in Kerry. So we have been working with VAI, which is Visual Artists Ireland, and they're the um, network and a professional network to support professional artists in the country. And uh, we've been working with them to do specific training and mentoring for visual artists in the county over the last three years, Joe. And uh, a lot of the work has been online. And this year, then, uh, we're going to go for an in-person event. And uh, Robert and Lucy and Grills Gallery Kilorglan have kindly agreed to host it. So I'll, I'll hand you over to Robert there for a bit. Yeah, Robert, uh, thanks a million for joining us. If people at home can't see Robert's background. We're talking him on Zoom. It's absolutely stunning. You're inside in the gallery speaking to us at the moment. So tell us about your involvement in this wonderful initiative. Well, thanks, Joe, and Kate, too, for your introduction. Uh, we're honoured to be hosting the Arts Café, um, which I think will give the opportunity for about 20 artists to meet curators in a workshop setting to develop their practice. So we're very, very honoured to be part of that. Um, the, you referred to how the gallery looks, uh, which is very pleasing. The, the work up is the, the, the work of Neil Nessens, a Brandon-based etcher and draftsman. Uh, he does incredibly detailed landscapes. Um, sadly, the show uh, has just drawn to a close, but we've had uh, great interest, lots of visitors. Um, and it, one of the interesting aspects of the show was that uh, Fermoil Pottery down in Balinskelligs uh, created a series of ceramic plates for, for Neil to paint. So, as I say, the, the Neil show is finished, um, but next up, uh, from the 25th of November, we have a group show called Heroines. Geraldine O'Reilly and the poet Mary O'Donnell have collaborated on a print portfolio of watercolours and poems called Unlegendary Heroes, which focuses on the roles and the voices of women in Ireland, past and present. Alongside Geraldine and Mary, the collective Nigelica, I hope I pronounced that right. A group of eight women artists will be showing their Ballinglen Arts Foundation prints. Nigelka are Helen Comerford, Barbara Freeman, Patricia Hurl, Catherine Marshall, Carol Nelson, Rachel Parry, Terry Rudin, and Gerda Teljour. Uh, the exhibition opens at 12 noon on Saturday 25th and runs until Christmas Eve. We're very excited about our programme for next year. At Easter, we're showing paintings by Alan Raggett, who moved to Ken Mayer some years ago. As a means to get to know the county, he collected postcards sent from Kerry to all parts of the world, Australia, Canada, the States, throughout Europe, from between the Victorian era up to and including the more recent photographic series. And Alan selected the viewpoints of the original artists as the basis of his own larger oil paintings. And beyond the creation of the paintings, Alan uses the 
postcard scenes as an itinerary for himself and his young family to explore the county. Later in the year, we're playing fantastic shows <clears throat> with photographer Con Kelleher from McCroom and painters and printers Tim Golding from Bearer and then Catherine Boucher-Boyg from Kinsale. And in between these shows by well-established artists, um, as printmakers, Lucy and I will be screen printing our own work, concentrating on a project for which we received an Arts Council Agility Award. It's called Border, and it focuses on the partition of the six counties in the north. Again, uh, Sheila referenced the current concerns about the, the political situation. I think that's something that everybody shares. Mm. Robert, that sounds amazing. I'm definitely going to call into you there at some stage. Um, I, I, for people that don't know, it's where the old fishery bar used to be there, and right next to the, the bridge, yep. right next to the Lone River. And if you're lucky, you might see an Olympian rowing past you there as well. Uh, it's a stunning location and uh, well worth a visit. I love the idea, Robert, that's right, going right up to Christmas Eve. What a wonderful thing if you're home um, with your family to call in and see um, these works as well that are obviously inspiration when you talk about heroines as well and the, the voice as well. Um, Robert, thanks a million. And if people want more information, where can they go? Um, they can go to our website, which is grills.ie. That's G-R-I-L-S-E. And the word means a salmon returning to the river. Ah, very good. You learn something okay. new every day, Robert. Thanks a million for that. Um, Kate, I was just thinking there about the networking side of the, the, the cafe. It, you know, like we often say this in the program, the artist's life sometimes is a kind of a solitary life, but this is an amazing kind of uh, facilitation by Robert here to, um, you know, to cater for these people, to meet each other and to share ideas. And that's what you're all about in the arts office as well. I suppose it's not just about putting on events and support the events, but it's uh, hosting networking events as well as so important very much so joe and you know peer networking and learning from each other is really really important so vai which is the um visual artists ireland are actually organizing the event and as i said it's co-funded by the arts council and Kerry county council and robert and lucy have kindly um agreed to host it so we'll definitely put on teas coffees and a few scones because it'll be a dark november evening but hopefully not too dark it's on from six to half eight and anyone who wants to register joe they just go to the vai website so it's just uh, visualartistsireland.ie and they can register directly for the event and it is free. Um, so we're hoping, uh, as Robert said, to get maybe around 20 artists. I know the last time we had an in-person event, gosh, um, for the visual artists, it was, I'm trying to think, I think it was around 2018 and we had a great turnout, uh, but it was in the summer. So we'll see how we go. But um, it's just one of the, the pieces of work we're at at the moment, Joe. Um, just one of the others, in case your uh, listeners are interested, and I'm sure some of them are, um, as part of our ongoing support to festivals. We have organised mentoring for arts festivals in uh, in the county and it's going to be with a former Arts Council advisor, uh, Dr David Teven. And David has initiated and curated loads of festivals. He's big into citizen engagement, audience development, uh, diversity and inclusion. So David has years of experience to offer and um, we're looking to really get uh, local festivals interested who want to just get that bit of knowledge and mentoring to build their own capacity really and to expand their reach into communities. So David is going to be doing an online session on the 23rd of November from seven to half eight. So we already have some festivals interested in getting the one-to-one -one mentoring. We're going to select maybe three to four. So if people are interested, they should contact us and it's arts at kerrycoco.ie. 
But in terms of the online session, there's no limit in, in the number of spaces. So everyone is welcome. And as I said, that's on the 23rd of November from seven to half eight. And if people are interested, they just email in to arts at kerrycoco.ie and they'll be sent out the link. Very, um, very good. We, we'll have, have to go to a break, Kate, and then we'll come back because I know you've loads more to tell us about. Um, I think that's <laughs> just a, that's brilliant to have that mentoring, being involved in many festivals myself down through the years. Even young or a festival that's established, some, something like that is so important. So that's brilliant to hear. We're going to take a break. We'll have more from Kate Kennelly after these. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought you in association with Virgin Media. Turning this Black Friday red in the Virgin Media Playhouse of Offers. See virginmedia.ie for more details. It's the second Saturday of the month and Kate Kennelly is still with us for our arts slot here on Radio Kerry called Creative Kingdom. Letting you know what's going on in the arts world and Kate we went to the break there. You were telling us loads of things that are going on so I won't interrupt you. Keep going. Tell us what else is going on. Joe, we never have time for a chat anymore. This is terrible. But uh, there is a lot going on. So just to update your listeners, in terms of the Kerry Arts Strategy, which you might recall, we had a public meeting there online in June and we had some one-to-one meetings in August, September. We had to pause things for a while with Culture Night. We were very busy and we had some funding deadlines nationally, but we're getting back into the Arts Strategy now. So questionnaires are available still online if people want to give us their thoughts and opinions. And we'd hope to have a draft ready by uh, January. And again, anyone who's interested, just contact in arts at kerrycoco.ie or give us a ring 066-718-3541. We love to chat about the arts, as you can tell. Um, We also have a call out, Joe, live at the moment uh, for dancers, filmmakers, Uh, creative writers and visual artists to apply for our next artist in residence panel and that panel will be live for four years Joe and by live um, I mean you know that the people who are successful they have four years uh, of being on that panel so it will be from 2024 to 2028 and the closing date is 1pm on the 17th of November so if there's writers or dancers um, filmmakers or visual artists out there who would be interested in the type of residency work we do. So we do look for engagement with communities, with schools. We look for mentoring. We look for growing awareness of the art form. So if that's your thing, definitely apply. And uh, outside of that, then, just so you know, I, I think I might have mentioned we got additional Creative Ireland funding um, to plan for Crunanog as well for 2024. So Emma, our Creative Community Engagement Officer, is leading on that. And she's doing a lot of work at the moment uh, with Me in the Moon and uh, Makey Makey Steam Workshops. And that's happening all around the county. And uh, there's going to be one street art project with young people who attend the Shanakil Family Resource Centre. And it's going to commence shortly and a big reveal on on June the 8th next year and also as you know our filmmaker and our writer our dancer have been co-funded by the Arts Council and Kerry County Council supported by Creative Ireland but the demand was so big Joe for film this year and because it is a creative industry uh, Creative Ireland Kerry will actually be funding a second uh, filmmaker in residence uh, just November and December we had such demand would you believe Joe we had over 30 schools looking for the filmmaker to work with them so we have Marcella O'Connor because Mika's contract uh, had concluded and she's uh, got a, a superb opportunity to be up in Dublin at the Fire Station Artist Studios but we're delighted to have Marcella O'Connor back with us as well and her schedule is already full so I can't even invite people to, to register but certainly if people but want isn't, isn't to that next great, year Kate? Isn't yeah. that great it just shows like that the way film is mushrooming in this county and yeah. then if you have so many schools that can only be a great thing if young people then wanting to get involved um, it, this could be a very exciting space in a few years 
Joe, I see Kerry really, I mean, creative industries and screen production, so film, TV, digital, their animation, there's so much potential in the county. And I know as I sent you um, at the Kerry International Film Festival, I was absolutely delighted and honoured to meet PJ Dillon. He's a world-renowned cinematographer from Listowel, uh, but PJ was so interesting to listen to. And he said at the end of his, his uh, speech, he said that um, Kerry is untapped potential when it comes to location, you know, and uh, I thought that was really interesting. I'm always thinking as I walk around and I love going for my walks, I'd be saying, yeah, you could film this here or film that there. And uh, hopefully in years to come, the industry will grow and grow for the county. Yeah, excellent. Kate, anything else before we finish? We've only about 20 seconds. Yeah, right, no, Joe, <laughs> just, uh, did, did you take up the ukulele yet? <laughs> no, you probably weren't listening last weekend, but I was, uh, I'm going to become fluent in Irish in a year, I announced on this programme. So I've, uh, I'll tip, put the ukulele off for another year, I think. I'd stick to trying to be fluent in Gaelga. <laughs> we'll be speaking to Gaelga in a year's so. time. <laughs> yes, yeah, very good. Kate, thanks a million as always. Where can people go for more information? Now, for more information, information joe um arts uh, at kerrycoco.ie um is our email and at kerrycoarts facebook and twitter or x whatever it's called social media and then our website is arts.kerrycoco.ie so everything is up there joe and people are always free to ring 066-718-3541 this time next month kate we'll have our christmas jumpers on talking to each other so where did the year go joe yeah, unbelievable. Kate Kennelly is always a pleasure. Uh, creative Kingdom there. Now, that's all we have time for on the programme. My thanks to Abigail Bernard, who was on sound. Francis is on the way, so keep it here on Radio Kerry. I'll join you again next Saturday morning, and we will have Bernadette Nereida for our Speaking of Poetry. And she was over in the States doing an absolutely wonderful trip over there, so we'll be looking forward to hearing all about that next week. Until then, look after yourself and take care. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry, brought to you in association with Virgin Media, turning this Black Friday red in the Virgin Media Playhouse of Offers. See virginmedia.ie for more details.